Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Everytown Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird cup of murder. Chances are you've taken a Tylenol or two to cure a nagging headache or an injured body part. And chances are you've struggled a little bit with all of the childproofing and seals to get to the pills you so desperately need in that moment of pain. On September 29, 1982, a young girl's death set off a domino effect that led to those seals and locking lids on not just Tylenol, but all other medications. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On the morning of September 29, 1982, a 12-year-old girl in Elk Grove Village suburb of Chicago woke and complained to her parents about a sore throat and a runny nose. Feeling as though she was just in need of a little bit of medication to get her up and going, they handed their daughter, Mary Kellerman, an extra-strength Tylenol and waited for it to kick in. Mary was dead by 7 a.m., thus starting a mystery that, to this day, has yet to see its conclusion. On that very same day, 27-year-old postal worker Adam Janis of Arlington Heights, Illinois, suddenly died of what everyone assumed was a massive heart attack. Everyone started to convene at his home to console one another when his 25-year-old brother, Stanley, and 19-year-old sister-in-law arrived and went to take some Tylenol to dull the grief headache both seemed to be suffering from. Suddenly, both had to be rushed to the hospital, where Stanley died the same day as his brother and Teresa just two days later. 
Now, while both Mary Kellerman and Adam Stanley and Teresa's families gave the sudden and unexplained deaths of their loved ones, unexpected deaths all around Illinois continue to pop up. There was 35-year-old Mary McFarland of Elmhurst, Illinois, 35-year-old Paula Prince of Chicago, and 27-year-old Mary Reiner of Winfield, Illinois. The only thread connecting the deaths? Tylenol, a normally fairly harmless, when taken correctly, medication that is known to help rather than to hurt. Tylenol, the best-selling non-prescription pain reliever sold in the U.S. at the time. The deaths were obviously looked into, and when the Tylenol connection was made, tests were quickly carried out to see if, somehow, the medicine cabinet staple was to blame. The results revealed lethal amounts of potassium cyanide, and a frantic warning was issued via the media and patrol cars armed with loudspeakers warning citizens of Chicago to throw out all of their Tylenol products. They halted production and advertising, recalled all of their products, offered to replace the soft capsules with solid tablets, and disposed of an estimated 31 million bottles that were in circulation. The company, Johnson & Johnson, took a major financial hit of over $100 million, the equivalent of $265 million in 2019. Due to the locations of each of the victims, sabotage during the production was quickly ruled out, and the police worked under the assumption that whoever was responsible acquired the bottles from various different retail outlets over the course of several weeks, poisoned them, and then returned them to the shelves. It was all so easy in a time where bottles didn't contain that seal at the top indicating that a bottle had been tampered with. In fact, you could simply open up a bottle, take a few pills out, or put something in, and place it back on the shelves with a future buyer none the wiser. When all of the bottles in the area were tested, in addition to the five bottles that led to the seven deaths, three more containing contaminated pills were discovered. The case was baffling, to say the least. As police continued to try and obtain answers to the sensationalized crime, they found surveillance photos showing Paula Prince purchasing her cyanide-laced Tylenol at a Walgreens on North Wells Street. In it, they found a bearded man lurking behind the future victim and released the photo in hopes that someone could identify this mystery man. Nothing came of it. In early 1983, at the FBI's request and with her parents' consent, the Chicago Tribune published the address and grave location of Mary Kellerman, working under the theory of criminal analyst John Douglas that the perpetrator would be tempted to visit the grave site if given the information. Both sites were kept under 24-hour surveillance for several months, but the killer never surfaced. Around the same time, an anonymous man sent a letter to Johnson & Johnson demanding $1 million to stop the Tylenol murders. Fingerprints on the envelope led straight to John William Lewis. Unfortunately, he and his wife were living in New York at the time of the murders, meaning there was no way he was responsible for the Tylenol murders. He was simply a man looking to make some money off of other people's tragedies. He was convicted of extortion and later served 13 years of a 20-year sentence. However, in 2009, WCVB Channel 5 out of Boston reported that court documents released that year, quote, show Department of Justice investigators concluded Lewis was responsible for the poisons, despite the fact that they did not have enough evidence to charge him. 
The following year, both he and his wife submitted DNA and fingerprints to authorities, with John still insisting that he was innocent. Another man, Roger Arnold, was identified, investigated, and cleared of any involvement in the murders after having a nervous breakdown due to the media attention and blaming a bar owner named Marty Sinclair. The summer after the murders, Roger Arnold shot and killed a man named John Stanisha, whom he mistook for Marty Sinclair, and was sent to prison for second-degree murder. He died in June of 2008, having been cleared of the Tylenol murders. Another potential suspect came when a woman named Lori Dan became front-page news for her May 1988 poison and shooting rampage in and around Winnetka, Illinois, but was quickly ruled out. There was even a brief moment where, on May 19, 2011, the FBI requested DNA from Unabomber Ted Kaczynski, working under a theory that he may be the Tylenol murderer. The first four Unabomber crimes did happen in Chicago, and his parents lived in Lombard, Illinois, so it wasn't necessarily a big stretch to consider him a suspect. He, of course, denied any involvement and even claimed to have never been in possession of potassium cyanide. Since then, there have been no other notable suspects, and the case of who committed the Chicago Tylenol murders remains a mystery. Following these seven Tylenol murders, there have been hundreds of copycat attacks and even deaths involving Tylenol and other over-the-counter medications. Three deaths followed in 1986 after gelatin capsules were tampered with, and Excedrin became the weapon of choice for one woman in Washington, while a university student in Texas died from an anacin capsule that he himself injected with cyanide. Because of this, the federal government got involved and created a number of anti-tampering laws that have become so commonplace in today's pharmacies. The 1982 incident not only inspired pharmaceutical change, but changes in the way food and other consumer products packaged their items prior to purchasing. Things like induction seals were implemented, as were federal laws against those who tamper with medication. Companies moved away from the use of easily separated capsules and introduced a split caplet instead. And by 1989, the FDA established federal guidelines for manufacturers to ensure all products were tamper-proof. The Johnson & Johnson Company was widely praised for their reaction to the Tylenol murders their willingness to forego profit for human life, and how quickly they responded to the incident. Before long, their sales rebounded and they, once again, secured their place as the nation's favorite over-the-counter pain reliever. Of course, not everyone agreed. In 2011, Scott Bartz, a pharmaceutical industry insider, released an expose called the Tylenol Mafia, which pointed to the contamination occurring somewhere in the repackaging process that was not investigated by the media or police, as well as a strong motive for the company to cover up the matter. Nothing has come from his investigation, nor the investigation done by police. The case of the Tylenol murders remains a mystery to this day. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on September 30th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>